Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.25 a.m. Central Standard Time. Thank God for Standard Time. It is the 8th of November, 2019, and this is episode 161 of Bitcoin and wow, dump by the dip. Just, you know, yeah, you, you, if, if you've, if you're living under a rock, hadn't seen it yet, we got ourselves a little dumpy going on. We're below 9,000 again. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> well, whatever, uh, by the dip. That's pretty, that actually ends up being pretty simple. Okay, let's start out with uh, some community stuff because, you know, hey, why not? Let's do that. Uh, Let me get into here. And the first thing that is up is that yesterday I was on Adam Meister's show this week in Bitcoin. And if you're not following Adam Meister, you need to go ahead and do that. Uh, It's at TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T, all one word. Get on Twitter, go give him a follow, and you'll be able to find the link. I'll try to include the link in my uh, morning roundup. If you're not following the morning roundup, I have a link to that in my show notes. It is where I put all the stories, the tweets of all the stories that I cover, and all basically everything that I do goes into the morning roundup. So if you want to find out what it is in readable format, uh, any of the stories that I cover, I link to all of them directly in the morning roundup. So be sure to do that. Also, if you get a chance this weekend, uh, it'd be really, it'd be lovely to, uh, uh, if you would pop on over to iTunes, give me a five-star review, tweet the show out, share it with friends, family, anybody who has an interest in what's going on in the news without actually having to read the news because, oh, I don't know, you're driving a car or something like that or gardening. And that's what we love about podcasts is that you can do other things while gathering information. Okay. Uh, that said, uh, let's get into community stuff. Bit Sahara just came on my, on my radar. Uh, Bit Sahara is yet another, uh, lightning network user adoption initiative. So like bottle pay and tipping.me and stuff like that, uh, you can send people Satoshis with Bit Sahara. Now, if you want to get over to them, their uh, address is at BitSahara, B-I-T-S-A-H-A-R-A on Twitter. And you'll find everything that you need to find to be able to do stuff with BitSahara over at BitSahara. So there you go. I, I didn't even, and they've been around for a while after looking into it, and I never even heard of them. So yet one more lightning thing going on. There's so much of it is starting to get to the point that you can't keep up with lightning at all. Like you kind of, well, like you definitely can't keep up with Bitcoin and what's going on in the Bitcoin stuff. Um, Speaking or or continuing on with the whole lightning thing, Lapse 
LN or at LAPS, L-N, L-A-P-P-S-L-N, has a tweet out there that says, Introducing the Lightning Network Wallets Explorer with filters to help you narrow down on the wallets that suit your needs. Open source plus non-custodial plus mobile, custodial plus browser-based, find the perfect Lightning wallet for you. And they give a link. It's laps.co forward slash wallets. What what is it? It's exactly what it says it is. It's a search engine that looks at all the available. Well, not all. There's a couple of there. You know, I'm sure they're plugging them in as they can. But the majority of all the lightning wallets that are available for use today um, are on this website and it's searchable. So, there's a like on the left hand side, there'll be a list of network wallets for light for lightning network. There's bottle pit, like all of them that are represented are, are still a handful, but they're growing. So I assume that as the lightning network wallet infrastructure and ecosystem grows, they will be listed on this site. Right now it's bottle pay, BLW, Wallet of Satoshi, the Breeze Wallet, the Mun Wallet, Zap Zeus, Eclair Mobile, and Nayuta wallet, which I have never heard of. Um, and on the right-hand side is a nice little box that, that has buttons, radio buttons, and you know, kind of other buttons so that you can search for which ones are mobile, or, or not just which ones are mobile, but like which one is Android-based versus iOS, uh, which ones are web wallets, and then it gives three flavors of different kind of desktop wallets, uh, Linux, Apple, and uh, Windows. And then it gives you a choice of radio buttons for, do you want your wallet open sourced? And then the final selection criteria is, do you want your Lightning wallet to be custodial or non-custodial? You know, try to go with the non-custodial if you can. But what's nice, so like if I go and say, well, I want a mobile wallet that is for my iOS. Yes, I want an open source. And let's, I'm going to pick, yes, I want non-custodial it automatically deletes all the wallets that do not meet that criteria. What I'm left with is BLW, Breeze Wallet, Zap Wallet, and Zeus. Nice, nice. So as more wallets come online, and God knows they are going to come online, this is going to be kind of a a nice little tool for you to be able to pick out the flavor of Lightning Wallet that you want to start off with or, you know, use forever or, or, or try out, you'll know what flavor of lightning wallet you're getting. Again, that is L A P P S dot C O forward slash wallets or laps.co. The address on Twitter is laps L N. Um, Oh, Oh, okay. Let's see. The last thing, is this the last thing? Yeah. Um, Novak, I, I, I talked a little bit about this on, uh, uh, on Adam Meister's show yesterday, something's caught my eye lately. It's been running around my head for a long time, and it starts out. It's well, it started out with uh, the mesh network radio transmission of uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, transactions, and it's just kind of been floating as to I'm 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 really excited about both those things. I know that they're going to play a role, but there's something about what's going on. Now, Novak ended up tweeting out a picture of a, uh, let's see, what was it? He retweeted Indy underscore Retro News, and they had tweeted out four pictures, all of, and none of this is real. This is all 3D modeling, which I 
I know how to do that. So I know exactly what it is that I'm looking at. And no, I'm not fooled. Thankfully, they actually tell you that this is a 3D rendering. In either event, somebody went through, took the time to kind of take all the design, oh, the design peccadillos of the old comedy Commodore 64, like the color, the type of plastic used, the way that the layout was done, and squashed it down to make it look like it was a handheld Commodore 64 that would accept old school audio mini cassettes that you would plug in to load in games. Now, anybody who's older than, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say, I'm going to say older than like 40, I'm going to, let's say 35, may have been exposed to having, like as a child, the first computer or first, you know, uh, exposure to video games. Like my first computer that I actually owned was an Atari 400. And the way that you loaded video games on that sucker was a cassette deck, not a hard drive, not anything fancy. It was literally a cassette deck and you would put, you'd go to the game store and you would buy a cassette that had the game that you wanted to play on it. And you had to play the cassette to your computer for the data to get transferred from the cassette and load into the memory of, of the Atari 400. Commodore 64 in a very, sort of the same damn way. Okay, this is how this goes back into the early 80s and shit. Okay, so all of a sudden it kind of clicked. I'm think I all this time about radio transmissions, uh, bouncing, you know, bouncing transmissions off the atmosphere, maybe even bouncing them off the moon. Link hooking up with mesh networks and having mesh networks like you know terminal point end up talking to the uh, blockstream satellite and transferring that you know that transaction into space and then bouncing it back down to the earth. All of this now with this picture that these pictures that I'm looking at now of this Commodore 64 thing, it all makes sense. I'm thinking steampunk Bitcoin, and I kind of think that this may probably not going to happen in the way that I think of it or the way that I want it to happen. I'm just thinking that it may be worthwhile for people to get more serious about the old technologies and their application to Bitcoin as it stands today and into the future. And the reason, and generally speaking, we are all, like as a species, as the human and, and our engagement with technology, we always seem to be wanting and, and driving and requiring moves forward. And we ditch old technology because it's slow, it's clunky, it's kludgy, it's kludgy, however you pronounce that. It's ugly, it's, you know, it's old, it has this thing, this, this old thing about it. However, this is the first time that I've actually seen more than a couple of people talk about, you know, or, or, you know, have nostalgia technology as it applies to Bitcoin. I'm not the only one that thinks this way. Novak has a tendency to, he's, he's a radio head. So he has, he's one of the first people that uh, not only was the first person or one of the first people, but he continuously experiments with sending Bitcoin transactions via radio. That this is a wonderful thing. Why? If we can get Bitcoin to where it accepts legacy technology from as ancient as we can get, 
all the way to being able to make M- like headway into being defensible against quantum computing and the breaking of the SHA-256 algorithm and any other algorithm that w- like that that might go in via soft fork having those two sides in my opinion that balance of really old tech and the really new tech hardens bitcoin even more than what we really think of as the like the mining component the cryptography component the network effect component being able to in a pinch Still use the Bitcoin network in a complete freaking blackout hardens Bitcoin. How do you do that? A hand crank ham radio, and they have radios that, that have a battery, and you charge the battery by cranking it up. They're great in, a, in a, a, a weather emergency. If the power goes out, you can still have a radio by buying a hand crank radio. I've used them. They work. You crank the, that little son of a bitch about 15, 20, 25 times, and guess what? That's worth an hour of, of being able to receive transmissions or yeah, receive transmissions. It's not beyond the comprehension of mankind to think that we would be able to send transmissions via hand cranked radio. So in a complete dark, complete blackout, being able to transact with Bitcoin somehow on the Bitcoin network through proxy that hardens Bitcoin even more than it's already hardened. Just my two cents there sort of a, a little rant, but the whole thought of steampunk Bitcoin, I don't know. There's something kind of sexy about steampunk. I, that's just me though. Um, let's see here. Oh, oh God, we're going to do that here in a minute. Um, Peter McCormack has a rather long, lengthy, lengthy thread. Let's see how many he's got in here. Good God. He's up to, th- I think he's actually up to 30. And he did this yesterday. I'm not going to read the thread. Don't skip ahead. Don't worry about it. But he's given, I'm going to read the very first tweet and that's it. He says, thread on creating a podcast. Lots of DMs and email this week. So I thought I would crystallize it in the thread. Just a note, I am sharing my experience, lessons, etc. But I could have been super lucky. Any questions, just add them at the bottom of the thread. So what he's done is he's distilled in 30 or 29 some odd tweets about his views on starting a podcast. So if you are thinking about it, I you know, you can think what you want about Peter. Unless he's lying through his teeth about how much money he's making, you know, with his podcast, he's able to live just fine. He's not like buying Lambos left and right, but he is able to live. He's able to travel and he does all that stuff and still makes a profit and is not starving to death. That's that's good. Okay? whatever it is that you think, I like Peter. I don't care what anybody says. I like Peter. You want to grill me? Fine. I get it. Ah, we, I'm looking at you. He's still, he's still successful. So you can take that however you want. The guys, like I said, unless he's lying through his teeth, he's successful. And if somebody's successful in something that you want to do, you probably might want to listen to what they have to say. Doesn't mean hang on their every word, but it's probably a good resource. And uh, speaking of another resource, now this thing dropped yesterday. This is Tur Demeester's report that is coming out of Adamant or Adamant uh, Research. He dropped the Bitcoin Reformation, and it's 17 pages of some pretty serious thought 
I'm really impressed with this. I am not through it. But what I do want to do is is like at least um at least read the list of conclusions of their of this report. Now remember, Tour de Meester, what he's doing, or keep in mind that what Tour is doing here is he's comparing the 16th century Reformation to what's going on now with Bitcoin. It's becoming evident to me that religion is going to seep into this space, whether you laugh about it or not, whether you want it to or not, somehow or another, this thing has become so strong that it is has invited and has been able to pull in quite a few people who are really starting to think of this as a component of a of religion, not a new religion, just because remember what I said a couple of weeks ago, if you were to actually go back and read the Old Testament and some of the New Testament, money plays a pretty big role in religion, not just because it was written in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. I'm talking about how its relationship with either the old Judaism or early Christianity cannot be separated. Okay, can money is not being cannot be separated from the actual religion. So it's not surprising to me that this is happening. Now, all that said, here are the conclusions from Tur de Meester and Adamant's research uh, report on the Bitcoin Reformation. One, Bitcoin tolerance versus intolerance to become a major political fault line. Two, Bitcoin's primary drivers will be in saving, lending, and underwriting. Three, collaborative custody to become an industry standard. Four, offshore banking may transform into Bitcoin banking. Five, Bitcoin to mature quickly. Bonds, annuities, loans, insurance. Six, initial exchange offerings expected to stay and grow larger. Seven, Bitcoin savers could accelerate a revolution in the history of thought. If you, if you have not got this report or didn't see it drop yesterday, you need to go find this report. I'm about halfway through it. So very worth the read. Again, the name of this report is The Bitcoin Reformation. It is a report by Adamant Research. Adamant is spelled A-D-A-M-A-N-T. And if any of you guys were chilling out with music in the uh, 80s, you probably remember Adam Ant. No, I'm not going to play Adam Ant for the show today. You'll we'll get to that later. All right, what is next? I think we're going to start into the news. So there, that's it for your community roundup. And then uh, when you hear me again, we'll we'll do some, some we'll do some news. Okay, let's start with Nicholas Day writing yesterday for Coindesk. Crypto-friendly Silvergate Bank goes public on New York Stock Exchange. Silvergate Bank, a crypto-friendly bank, officially began selling shares on the NYSE Thursday, roughly a year after it first filed for its initial public offering. Silvergate began its IPO day on the NYSE, according to Stock Exchange's, or sorry, the Stock Exchange's Twitter account. The news comes a day after Silvergate received a notice of effectiveness from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission indicating its long-running IPO bid had been accepted. The bank currently serves more than 750 firms in the crypto space, 
including exchanges, investors, and others. According to an updated IPO prospectus filed in September of 2019, this is up significantly from the 542 clients it reported in March 2019 at the time. While the bank saw its client base grow between November 2018 and March 2019, the assets it held shrank marginally, falling from nearly $1.6 billion to $1.5 billion in the last quarter of 2018. In September's filing, these numbers grew again, holding $1.55 billion in deposits. Silvergate priced its stock at $12 per share on November the 6th and is planning to offer 3.3 million shares of Class A common stock. Just under 1 million of these shares are being offered directly by Silvergate, while shareholders are offering the other 2.5 million, according to a press release. These numbers are more conservative than the updated S1 filing dated October 2018, where the company priced each share at a maximum of $15 and sought to raise roughly $65 million overall. If it sells the 3.1 or sorry, 3.3 million shares at 12 each, the company will likely raise approximately $40 million U.S. The bank is hoping to sell these shares under the SI ticker. I guess that's it, SI, uh, by November the 12th. Silvergate could not be immediately reached for comment. Yeah, they're probably damn busy. Uh, Colin Harper is writing for Bitcoin Magazine, and he's going to be talking about the lone whale. And as we all seem to agree, we're all calling bullshit. Was a lone whale really behind Bitcoin's 2017 bull run? Don't bet on it. November the 6th, Colin Harper's writing. In July of 2019, John M. Griffin and Amin Shams, academics from the University of Texas and the University of Ohio, respectively, published the cleverly titled report, Is Bitcoin Really Untethered? Their findings, which is in quotations here, good for you, Colin echoed through mainstream and cryptocurrency media alike. The duo boldly claimed that Bitcoin's 2017 price raise was fueled by unbacked USDT. In essence, their argument goes, Bitfinex and Tether issued the stablecoin without having any dollars in the bank to back them up, meaning Bitcoin's price rose on little more than hot air. Yeah. Sure. Now, Griffin and Shams are doubling down on these claims. In an updated report, they argue that using Tether as a tool, a single entity alone was responsible for the 2017 bull run. Bullshit. By mapping the blockchains of Bitcoin and Tether, we are able to establish that one large player on Bitfinex uses Tether to purchase large amounts of Bitcoin when prices are falling and following the printing of Tether, the study reads. As could be expected, as mainstream media outlets jumped on the findings, like the vampires that they are, sorry, that's me, continuing, many voices inside the Bitcoin sphere have decried the report as insular, and its methodology is flawed. Probably worse than that. Plenty of market analysts, journalists, and other commentators have had more than a year to chew over the academics' prior findings. Alex Kruger, an independent economist and trader, addressed these claims in a concise medium post. Quote, some of the paper's claims seem unwarranted, he argued in his analysis, drawing that the com- drawing the conclusion that the paper, which was published by the Social Sciences Research Network and didn't undergo peer review, he pointed out, extrapolates too much. Noting that Tether issuance saw an uptick during the market downturn isn't exactly groundbreaking analysis either. Less than proof of market manipula- manipulation, Kruger wrote. This is simply evidence that market participants are 
buying the dip. Quote, observing Bitcoin purchases with USDT following market downturns is not extraordinary and is no proof of market manipulations. Such purchases could be explained by demand from market participants, either for buying the dip or for arbitraging spreads across exchanges, the post reads. Kruger declined comment for this story. His comment on arbitrage is salient for the updated report, though, as Griffin and Sham's new finding rests on evidence of mass tether flows between Bitfinex, Poloniex, and Bitrix. Quote, we find that one large player is associated with more than half of the exchange of tether for Bitcoin at Bitfinex, suggesting that the distribution of tether into the market is from a large player and not many different investors bringing cash to Bitfinex to purchase tether and quote the reports updated findings reads 90% of tether flows from Bitfinex to Poloniex go to a single deposit address 72% of the tether flows from Bitfinex to Bitrix go to another address and 66% of the Bitcoin flowing from Poloniex to Bitrix to Bitfinex goes to a single Bitfinex deposit address. The reports re- report reads, Tether flowing from exchange to exchange is hardly a red flag, as it could simply be acts of price arbitrage, as Kruger's initial post suggested. Still, arbitrage or not, this doesn't allay the fear that these movements could be coming from a single actor. Quote, is Bitcoin really untethered, end quote, relies on on-chain data. However, no, not individual account data. In the vein of efficiency, exchanges don't manage individual wallets for each user. Rather, they aggregate all user funds into a handful of wallets to make funds fund management less hectic. Because the report either overlooks this or ignores it entirely, its reliance on on-chain data makes its finding tenuous. Coinmetrics co-founder Nick Carter told Bitcoin Magazine, quote, I think the clustering and on-chain angle is quite weak, Carter said. The fact that a significant amount of value flowed through a single on-chain account does not really mean much. There are plenty of omnibus accounts for exchanges and market makers which map to a small cluster of addresses. There's nothing sinister in that, end quote. Carter went on to provide an example of such one chain, such, uh, sorry, God. Carter went on to provide an example of such single on-chain activity, quote, A single entity on-chain isn't really that meaningful. In 2017, Coinbase did 90% of Ethereum transaction volume on-chain at times. Does that make them a single whale moving the price? He continued. Carter also took issue with the study's sample selection. Griffin and Shams looked at all one-hour periods for Bitcoin and Tether movements on the blockchain from March 2017 to 2018 and highlighted the most active on-chain movements during these periods, paying particular attention to the largest and most active Bitcoin and Tether wallets of the aforementioned exchanges. From there, they concluded that the positive rate of return following spikes in on-chain activity point to manipulation, quote, simply because volatility and on-chain activity are highly correlated in the first place, end quote, as Carter puts it. He lambasted this methodology that purports to establish a causal relationship as naive and not compelling, seeing as sometimes on-chain flows lead price, sometimes price catalysis on-chain activity, or sorry, catalyzes on-chain activity. Typically, the latter is true. Methodology aside, the common criticism that has been 
that the the common criticism has been that the paper reads like an outsider's take on an industry they've had little interaction with. Anil Lula, the co-founder of crypto and analytics services Delphi Digital, for example, sees these findings as an attempt to shoehorn data into a thesis that shows a fundamental misunderstanding of how Bitcoin market oper- markets operate. This paper gaining traction across popular media outlets goes to show just how misunderstood Bitcoin and the crypto space still is to the general public. Personally, it seems like the authors simply looked for data to help support their theses, he told Bitcoin Magazine. It also overlooked retail investment during 2017's market mania. Atlanta Digital CIO Alistair Milne, for example, or for instance, has charted Coinbase's growth here, and that's a a link, and found that it added roughly 8.4 million customers in the course of 2017. This translated to at least 100,000 per day during the bull run's fever pitch. And that wasn't, and this wasn't just about Coinbase. The eToro market analysis told Bitcoin Magazine that the crypto-focused financial services company experienced meteoric demand from retail investors during 2017 as well. Quote, everyone who witnessed the 2017 bull run emphatically knows that it was caused by a global wave of mass awareness, particularly in the retail sector. At eToro, I personally witnessed the effects of millions of new clients joining to trade crypto and how every site that offered or even mentioned crypto or blockchain was flooded with attention. The rally was not caused by anyone. It was caused by everyone. Tens of millions of people at the same time all getting excited about the endless potential of a new industry being born. There are counterpoints still, such as Elaine uh, Elaine Al's observation, that due to the Chinese government's strict attitude toward Bitcoin and the banking issues this creates, that Tether was used in 99% of Bitcoin spot trades in China last this year, accounting for 60% of all on-chain transaction values, end quote. At the same, in the same article, we, I, her name is difficult, O-U, that's her last name, called the findings silly. Given the report's obsession with the singular whale as the driving force behind the Bitcoin's market success, perhaps the proper response to this study should take its cue from Melville's Captain Ahab when facing the great white whale. Quote, I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing, end quote. Of course, that's a quote from Moby Dick. Okay. There's one thing that I want to I want to make sure that I, I get back to on here. Uh, yeah, this one quote: "Some of the paper's claims seem unwarranted," he argued in his analysis, drawing the conclusion that the paper and here's the important parts, which was published by the Social Sciences Research Network and did not undergo peer review. Okay, social sciences are notorious in academia. Believe me, I know. I've, I was there for a long time in academia. I know how different sectors of academia have a tendency to work, especially when it comes to research, specifically when it comes to peer review publication and how important it is. If nobody else is going to review your work, that means that you can literally scratch with crayon on a bar napkin and get it published. That's what this, that's what that means. It's not quite that bad, but it is damn close. 
Peer review, on the other hand, means you hand your work into a group of people and about anywhere between three, five, depending on the publication and the sector that you're in, maybe even seven people will read that work and they will destroy it. Or at least they'll try to. And then they'll send comments back to your ass. And then you will address all those comments and quite possibly rewrite the paper. Actually, it's most likely that you'll end up with a partial or full rewrite of the paper to hand it back in so that it can go through the shredding machine again so that it can come back out with fewer comments, rinse and repeat until they finally do one of two things. You're not publishing the garbage because you can't fix it because it's bullshit or congratulations, you just got your peer-reviewed publication. This thing that we're talking about with the one whale thing, no. It doesn't meet any of the criteria for something that you need to worry about. Stop worrying about the one whale. Oh yeah, this is a fun one. William Foxley writing sometime this morning for Coindesk. Crypto and blockchain jobs have increased by 26% 26 since 2018. Research. It suggests research. Those seeking employment in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry have reason to be positive, says employment search company Indeed. The number of Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto-related employment ads in shares per million on the popular job listing site rose by 26% from 2018 to 2019, following a four-year trend of 1.4 or sorry, 1,457% growth in the sector, according to a seen by Indeed study released on Thursday. On the other hand, Sector-specific job searches dropped 53% over the same period following a longer downward trend, the firm found. Enthusiasm among job seekers peaked during the height of the crypto bull market in late 2017, which saw Bitcoin's price reach an all-time high of around $20,000, but has gradually tailed off ever since. Zooming into the detail, the years this year's top five sector jobs being posted by employers all revolve around computer work with software engineering, software architect, full stack developer, and front end developer being the five most common positions. The top five employers listing blockchain jobs are Deloitte, IBM, Accenture, Cisco, and Collins Aerospace coming in first through fifth respectively. Big four firm Ernst & Young joins Deloitte in the top 10. Cryptocurrency and blockchain industry firms Coinbase, which placed 7th, Overstock, which placed 8th, which has subsidiaries blockchain accelerator Medici Ventures and security token platform T0, Ripple comes in 9th, Circle 11th, Kraken 12th, Consensus 13th, all make the list. Banks, JP Morgan Chase, which is developing its own stablecoin and crypto company friendly signature bank, tail in at 14 and 15. Intriguingly, telecoms giant Verizon comes in 10th place, according to Indeed, the sole mobile company to make the rankings. While the firm has made blockchain investments and applied for a patent related to the tech, it's not made any major announcements in the space. Indeed says it expects the number of jobs jobs on offer to continue trending up through 2020, quote, even in the face of extreme price volatility and regulatory uncertainty of cryptocurrency. Boiling the ocean down, it means that jobs placements or job uh, availabilities in the space are up, but interest in getting those jobs is down. So in my opinion, it's a, kind of, this is kind of FUD, I, but 
it's interesting. You know, it, I mean, for me, it's interesting that you've got the amount of jobs are still steadily increasing, but interest has, has dropped off. This kind of correlates, doesn't, doesn't mean it caused it, but it does correlate with the drop in uh, Google searches for the word Bitcoin or phrase how to buy Bitcoin. I don't worry about this kind of stuff. You had a we had a massive blow off top in 2017. I think people are st- are mentally still recovering from that. Even people who weren't involved in the damn space were are like you know or d- those people who don't like Bitcoin. Of course, they use it to, to try to destroy Bitcoin. But even these guys were like going, "Holy crap! We've never seen anything like this. Not in the history of mankind has anybody seen anything like this. This re- th- that was ridiculous." So it. It makes sense to me that the chutzpah that everybody felt for wanting to get into blockchain and cryptocurrency is falling by the wayside. And I think one of the other attributing factors or contributing factors to this is the continual daily realization that if it's not Bitcoin, it's shitcoin. Continuing on, we have Chinese police hold MicroBT CEO allegedly over a dispute with Bitmain. Wow, sounds like woo trying to trying to make some make some waves. Jack Martin writing for Coin Telegraph sometime this morning. The founder of Bit- Bitcoin mining rig manufacturer MicroBT is being held as of November 8th by Shenzhen police to assist in an investigation, according to a local news source. Police are likely to be questioning Zhuzhang Yang over allegations of intellectual property infringement regarding the technology of Beijing-based Bitmain. Yang previously worked at Bitmain as processor design director and developed the Antminer S7 and S9 models. Allegedly unhappy after talks over stock options fell through, Yang left and raised $20 million to found MicroBT. In 2017, Bitmain sued the company over alleged infringement of a patent. However, Yang's lawyer successfully appealed to have the patent revoked the following year. A source said that it was unclear why police had resumed investigations at this time. However, the timing of Yang's detention coming just after the unexpected return of co-founder Jian Wu to Bitmain may suggest that Wu could be involved, you think? Wu returned to the company at the end of October, ousting fellow co-founder and biggest shareholder McCree Zahn. Wu publicly dismissed John of all duties last month, warning that any staff still communicating may be fired. Okay, so yeah, you think it? You think it might be Jihan? You think? Yeah, this is bad. I'm sorry. I I think this is bad. I think this is not. This is bad for Bitmain. This exposes in my opinion, that Bitmain is probably in massive trouble. Internally, it, it, it seems to me that internally Bitmain is falling to pieces. Am I right? I don't know. Are you right? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, th- this, is, this behavior just seems really extraordinary. And not just the, this arrest of this dude, right? All of it, the ousting, Wu leaving, and and then coming back, and ousting, you know, Zhang, and and all of a sudden now now Yang is is it being held by police. So what kind of pull does does Xi'an have with police? I mean, I it's, the whole thing is confusing, and because of all the fuzz in that in the noise in the system, leads me to believe that Bitmain is probably in trouble. But yeah, we shall see.
William Foxley is writing on November the 7th for Coindesk. He says, Malaysian thieves drill through wall to steal 85 crypto machines. Malaysian authorities have apprehended five men charged with stealing 85 Bitcoin machines. The police captured the men in a raid on November the 2nd. The Sun Daily reports that four men and one woman rented a building in Seremban, Malaysia, adjacent to a warehouse storing the Bitcoin machines. The five drilled through the concrete wall connecting the two buildings. All the suspects were friends without past criminal records, the Sun writes. Worth $10,300 each, the machines were most likely Bitcoin mining rigs, although local police did not specify, quote, on October the 29th, the shop te- shopkeeper lodged a police report following the missing of 85 Bitcoin machines. Sembrin, or Seremban Police Chief Supt Mod Said Ibrahim said in a press conference, quote, subsequently, police conducted raids and arrested suspects aged between 25 and 46 years. End quote. The raids occurred last Saturday uh, night between midnight and 5 a.m. local time. Authorities confiscated a car, a four-wheeled vehicle, and heavy equipment believed to be used for drilling through the concrete, the son added. The suspects have yet to be sentenced. So it's like a bank robbery now. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, although the the it, it, it go, it says five men, but then it goes and says four men and one woman. So who knows? Maybe they're all women. But... What is sure is that apparently, you know, 85 Bitcoin mining machines were stolen by drilling through a concrete wall. Oh, my God. I just I I love this space. I absolutely adore it. Jory Kant is writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. FBI crypto is a significant problem that will get bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, problem for you. Director for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Christopher Ray, testified before the Senate Homeland Security Committee at a hearing on security threats facing the United States on November the 5th. During the hearing before the United States Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, senators asked leaders from the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, and the National Counterterrorism Center Questions on topics including counterterrorism efforts, foreign influence in elections, cybersecurity measures, border security, and, of course, cryptocurrencies. Former presidential candidate and Republican senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, asked the intelligence officers whether the United States should not take some kind of effort in dealing with cryptocurrencies and its challenges they present to law enforcement's anti-terrorist activities. He said, quote, I'm not in the banking committee. I don't begin to understand how cryptocurrency works. I would think it is more difficult to carry out your work when we can't follow the money because the money is hidden from us and wonder whether there should be some kind of effort taken in our nation to deal with cryptocurrency, end quote. Former, or sorry, FBI Director Ray took the lead in answering the question, saying that cryptocurrencies already present a problem for the agency. Quote, for us... It's already a significant issue, and we can project out pretty easily that it's going to become a bigger and bigger one. Whether or not that is the subject of some kind of regulation as a response is harder for me to speak to, end quote. Ray concluded his answer by saying that the FBI is already keeping an eye on cryptocurrencies using tools that we have to try to follow the money. The FBI director also said that if the U.S. doesn't keep up with new technologies, it will soon find itself being walled off. You damn skippy. You might want to keep that one in mind. 
Yesterday, during a counter-terror conference in Melbourne, the Australian Minister of Home Affairs, Peter Dutton, warned that terrorists are exploiting cryptocurrencies to fund their deadly missions. Dutton said that the anonymity of cryptocurrencies allowed extremists to avoid scrutiny and that the increased use of digital currencies, stored value cards, online payment systems, and crowdfunding platforms may provide new channels through which to finance terrorism. Stop it with the FUD. These people seem to think that every human on the face of the planet is now a freaking terrorist, that all of us don't want to do anything but cause everybody harm. And any first-year philosophy student would be able to laugh that off as complete and utter bullshit. This is exactly how these people are looking at the population of the world. The us versus them it's not a it's not a left versus right. It's not at this point, it's not really even a rich versus poor, even though a lot of people might want to see that. No, 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 no. It's those of us on one side of the public official deist that that, that talking heads speak from, and those on the other side of the deist. That's what I believe this really boils down to. And until that somebody pours diesel gas on the deist and burns the freaking podium down, we're going to have this problem forever. Also, it's my opinion that even if, let's say that some dipshit comes out of the woodwork and is a magician and a wizard all rolled up into one and has the biggest, baddest ass magic wand ever, ever thought of, and waived it, and all of a sudden, it was impossible to do any kind of Bitcoinery, shitcoinery, ICOery, IEOery, give any of the Oeries. It physically impossible. The law changed the laws of physics to where there's no way on God's green earth that anything even remotely resembling a blockchain will ever happen. Guess what? You're still going to have people sending each other value in whatever way they can to finance whatever the hell it is that they want. And depending on how bad they want it will be how extreme of links they go to to be able to do those transactions. It doesn't matter what technology you use. It doesn't matter what technology you try to crush. The human condition is always the same. And unless you crush the human condition, you're not getting rid of this problem. You can regulate Bitcoin into the freaking Stone Age for all I care. The human condition is what you cannot regulate. And this is why we're bumping heads all the time. And this is why nothing gets done. And this is one of the reasons why there's wars all the time. And this is why we have to spill our guts and our money and our time to fund the egos of people who don't freaking get it who are working for people who do get it. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I stand, and that's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Vital statistics. Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, okay. All right. We got Bitcoin at 8783 Wow, look at that dip. Buy the dip, y'all. Buy the dip. We have a, looks like the high is going to be over at, I'm calling it at Bit Asset at 8,879. 
And it looks like we got a low at X rates at 8,764. This is according to bitinfocharts.com. We have had 335,000 transactions sent over the last 24 hours with right around 14,000 transactions being sent per hour. Uh, we have 1.5 million BTC being sent over that last 24 hours. And for a reminder, that equates to $14 billion being transacted without banks, without that fat guy from the Bank of International Settlements, without anybody named Lamond, without anybody named Lemaire, without anybody in France knowing a damn thing about it. Sorry, 13, I'm sorry, $14 billion in 24 hours. And not a damn person had anything to say about it except the person that sent it and the person that received it. This is why we Bitcoin. 66,000 Bitcoin are being sent on average per hour with about five BTC being sent on average per transaction. The median transaction value is 0.038 BTC or over 300 at $337 USD. Block time is a tick high, uh, 10 minutes, 13 seconds. And it looks like 0.3 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And holy smokes, man, 42 and a half BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had a dip in hash rate. We're down oh, 5.75%, taking a sub 90 to 86 and a half exahashes per second. The last commit to the GitHub repository was sometime on the 7th or yesterday. Ethereum at 183, Bcash at 278, Litecoin is at 60, BSV is at 124, Ethereum Classic is at 5, Dogecoin is at 0.0027 dollars. And at 24,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it's beating Litecoin. And there you go. Let's check the mempool. Looks pretty light. Yeah, we're seven blocks deep, 14,000 unconfirmed transactions. It looks like all the blocks are over one megabyte, and I'm looking square in the eyes of one that is 1.5 megabytes big. And Lightning Network, 10,371 public identifiable nodes. That is up 2.64% over the last 30 days. We have an increase in the network capacity of 1%. We're up to 8 119 and a half BTC or seven and a half million dollars. We have 12 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours, which is a 33% increase. And the amount of new channels is down 11%, uh, actually 11 and a half percent. And we've only got 91 new channels online. And that's going to do it for vitals. All right, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna subject you to another round of in the mood, but it's still gonna be big band. Why? Because I said so. That's why. Uh, the thing with big band uh, is that it's you know it's it's a great music musical format, and it's really the way that that uh, uh, many people entertain themselves by going out to nightclubs and dance clubs, and that was the entertainment especially before movies, certainly before television, radio, I mean, you name it, man. This is, this is the way it was in America, the West, a lot of other places too. And that's, it's, you know, big band's connection with jazz cannot be understated. And that's why I'm playing you this particular song called Blue Monk 
by Thelonious Monk. Chances are good, unless you are a geek like me, you have absolutely no idea who the hell Thelonious Monk is, and that's a really funky name, man. But this dude, this dude embodied pretty much some of the best of the worlds of jazz and big band. And the thing about it is, is that the way Thelonious Monk injected jazz into his stuff was, oh, I want to say... Not is it's not that it was credible. It was like most people don't like heavy jazz. I mean, I, that's just the way it is. It's not like you're gonna do a jazz album and it's gonna go. You know, like it's not gonna go gold. Okay, that's what I mean by that. My wife cannot stand jazz, and there's a lot of jazz that I do not like because it makes no freaking sense to me. There is some jazz that I do like a lot, but the way Thelonious injects jazz is a way to make it very, very palatable. And the way, one of the ways that he does that is he's been a big, you know, he was a big band uh, or an orchestra director and, and arranger for, you know, most of his professional career. So Thelonious Monk bringing you Blue Monk.
notice the fast fade on that. Uh, that was not me doing an edit, okay? The reason there's a fast fade on that is that whoever uh, did the original editing for uh, who whoever did the, not the recording, but cut this, you know, cut this particular clip, uh, they did that to keep it relatively short at three minutes, eh, about three minutes, maybe like getting into four minute range. Um, otherwise I can guarantee you this, something about Thelonious Monk, that piece is probably about 20 minutes long and I'm not going to do that to you I mean, because it's not fair, but Thelonious was kind of, fam- you know, one of the things that he was famous for was like these just, they, him and his band would just jam. It was like they would just get together, even though that they were being paid and they were at, you know, clubs and they were on the radio and, and like, you know, what is on sound stages. Uh, that was sort of one of the things that they did. They would just jam a piece for a while until they kind of got tired of it, communicate with each other visually and go, let's end it. But a lot of times these things went on eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, 20 minutes long. That's why there was such a radical fade on the end of that. And I, I really couldn't make it any, any better. So, uh, that's, that's where that was. Okay. So the daily train wrecked. Oh my, this is a special one We're we're, we're going, we're going to pull out a train, a daily train wrecked from the past. Actually, I never covered this on daily train wrecked, but this is a train wrecked from way, way back 2017. In fact, not November the 8th of 2017. What is today? Today is New York agreement capitulation day quote, continuing on the current path could divide the community and be a setback to Bitcoin's growth. This was never the goal of Segwit 2X. Still, that's exactly what happened. And the funny thing about those goals, you never really know how you're going to achieve them or even if you should. Let me read you the whole letter, okay? I've got it up here in front of me. A little bit of history for those who don't know. In 2017 was the culmination of the scaling debate wars. Three years people had been fighting about how to scale Bitcoin, and we ended up, you know, splitting off into camps, ones that were like going, well, let's do SegWit. And then the other one was like, no, let's double the block size. So a bunch of people decided to get into a room in New York and form what was called the New York Agreement. It was like eight people. Oh, actually, from what I can tell, it was Mike Belshi, Winston Ciceris, Jihan Wu, Jeff Garzik, Peter Smith, and Eric Voorhees. This is the reason why most of these names are reviled in Bitcoin to this day. Because for whatever reason, given all of the ethos behind decentralization and how Bitcoin works and why Bitcoin was created, these people got into a room thinking that they were going to change the course and fix Bitcoin. F you. You didn't fix anything. If you guys did anything, you broke something. What did you break? You broke communities up. That's what you did. You broke community. This is your fault. Okay? You did this. Mike Belshi, Winces, Jihan, Jeff, Peter, Eric. This is your fault. 
you have so much of the blame here, it's not even funny. Remember this day, every November the 8th, this day, every year, we need to read the following. This is the capitulation letter, and they did capitulate from Mike Belshing. Quote, The SegWit2x effort began in May with a simple purpose, to increase the block size and improve Bitcoin scalability. At the time, the Bitcoin community was in crisis after nearly three years of heavy debate, and consensus for SegWit seemed like a distant mirage with only 30% support among miners. SegWit2x found its first success in August as it broke the deadlock and quickly led to SegWit's successful activation since that time. The team shifted its efforts to phase two of the project, a two megabyte block size increase. Our goal has always been a smooth upgrade for Bitcoin. Although we strongly believe in the need for a larger block size, there is something we believe is even more important, keeping the community together. Unfortunately, it is clear that we have not built sufficient consensus for a clean block size upgrade at this time. Continuing on the current path could divide the community and be a setback for Bitcoin's growth. This was never the goal of SegWit2x. As fees rise on the blockchain, we believe it will eventually become obvious that on-chain capacity increases are necessary. When that happens, we hope the community will come together and find a solution, possibly with a block size increase. Until then, we are suspending our plans for the upcoming 2-megabyte upgrade. We want to thank everyone that contributed constructively to SegWit2x, whether you were in favor or against. Your efforts are what makes Bitcoin great. Bitcoin remains the greatest form of money mankind has ever seen, and we remain dedicated to protecting and fostering its growth worldwide. And then the signatory line, F all of you. All you did was show your ass, split communities, break up friendships, that's all you guys did. And the hubris which you showed, thinking that you were going to fix Bitcoin, is ridiculous. None of you got it. Hell, I will admit to you right now, I still don't get Bitcoin. I don't, I absolutely love it, but there's so much there in the pits of what Bitcoin actually is that I don't think any of us are ever going to be able to say Bitcoin is X without a smile or a grimace on our face because we know we are wrong. This is one of the first things that we've ever seen that has a truly organic nature. And if it has a true organic nature, guess what? You cannot predict its actions because it falls under the rules of the universe. We have no control over this thing. It's bigger than all of us put together. It certainly is bigger than Mike, Winces, Jihan, Jeff, Peter, and Eric. I'll give you that. And there was a lot more people involved in, in the New York agreement. These are just the signatories on the capitulation letter. But let it be a lesson to you that almost everything that they have said in this letter, and this is only, guys, this, is, this letter came out only two years ago. Only two years. It's November the 8th, 2019 today. This capitulation was written November the 8th, 2017. That was two years ago. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. Okay. It's hard to describe 
how wrong every everything this letter suggests is. As fees rise on the blockchain, we believe it will eventually become Lightning Network. You didn't see Lightning Network. You didn't think that it was going to work. What happened? It's taking care. It's taking the pressure off of on-chain transactions. You're, you don't understand, again, not only human nature, but human competency. We are also organic creatures. We can grow with Bitcoin and we can inform Bitcoin can inform us and we can inform Bitcoin and work together. But this whole guiding water downhill and trying at one point or another to say, I don't want it to go around that particular tree. So we're going to have to make it go uphill a little bit before it can go, you know, shift. That's bullshit. You're not working with nature. And Bitcoin is more natural than I think anybody can even possibly imagine at this point. I think it's more natural than even I can imagine. And I have pretty much 100% believe in the organic nature of Bitcoin, that it was not just a collection of chips and code. That somehow or another, the human spirit got injected into this thing and Bitcoin is talking to us. This technology is talking to us and we are talking to it. And every single time somebody tells Bitcoin something Bitcoin doesn't want to hear, the teeth and the claws come out because Honey Badger doesn't give a fuck. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by, well, we'll we'll do, we're going to do two. Dad Says Jokes brings you the first one. I saw two guys in matching outfits and asked if they were gay. They arrested me. Cops. They were police officers. That's sort of the joke. Okay, now the the second one is, well, it's toilet humor. Uh, Well, it's pretty much all toilet humor. But this one is specifically toilet humor and I bring it to you because I've been watching a lot of Captain Underpants with my children in, in, in the morning. And if you aren't a fan of Captain Underpants, I'm sorry because you're probably missing one of the best cartoons since Looney Tunes. And I, I speak from experience as, as a child of the seventies, I grew up with Saturday morning cartoons and three hours of those cartoons or at least two and a half was the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner uh, show. And they would play, I'll be for two straight hours, you'd be watching Looney Tunes. Okay, this is the way that I grew up. I know good animation and good, you know, humor animation. And I've seen a lot of cartoons come and go. This one is special. I got to tell you, if you're not watching Captain Underpants, you got to watch some Captain Underpants, man. But in in Captain Underpants, you will find jokes sort of like this. Is butt cheeks one word, or should I spread them apart? See, you see what I'm saying? Toilet humor. Definitely, definitely toilet humor. That joke was actually brought to you by at X Juicy Fruits with a Z. X Juicy Fruits with a Z. Anyway, there's your terrible joke. Let's get right on into uh, the outro. We're getting a little long here. Um, again, remember, remember the 8th of November. It's 
one of the red letter days in the history of Bitcoin that you're going to want to understand. It's, it's imperative that you understand what it is a small group of people think that they can do versus what they can actually affect. They tried to steer Bitcoin. They broke up friendships. That I'm saying, man, I mean, it's, it's their fault. A lot of the fallout, a lot of the animosity is their fault. Don't get fooled into believing you can fix Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just fine. Bitcoin will fix itself. My son is seven years old. He is not six foot tall yet. He might never be six foot tall, but chances are good he's going to be right around six foot tall. He's half of that height right now. Oh, he's only halfway there. Maybe I can fix him. That statement is as stupid and should be looked upon with as much disdain and disgust as these idiots who decided that they thought that they could sit around a table, have a few drinks, and fix Bitcoin after just a, you know, a few years that, you know, that it had been cranking out blocks, that, it, that they knew enough that they'd be able to do it. You can't. Be careful with Bitcoin. It will come back and it will kick you in the ass and it will hurt and it will leave a scar. That's why you don't mess with honey badgers. In the real world, if you see a honey badger, stay away from it because not only could one kill you if it gets good and pissed off enough because those claws are deadly and it's close to the ground and it has enough reach to hit the inside of your thigh, which is where where you carry your femoral artery. If it nicks your femoral artery, you're going to bleed out within a minute. Stay away from honey badgers and don't jack with Bitcoin. Um, it's also Friday, 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 thank God. I hope it's not as cold where you are as it is up here. Um, but, you know, it is the Friday, so you get to do some work around the house you know, hang out with your kids if you got them. If you don't have kids yet, but you have a significant other, curl up on the couch, watch, I don't know, watch a favorite TV show or something like that. Spend some time together. We're coming into the holidays. You know, in, in the United States, we will have uh, Thanksgiving here, the last Thursday of, of this month. And then that will take us a month later into Christmas season and then New Year's. And then all of a sudden, it'll be 2020. And five months after that is going to be May. What happens in May? The happening. And we will all see each other on the other side of that. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.